Romans chapter 6. And I'm going to begin reading at verse 1, and we'll read through verse 10. And we're actually going to be focused again this morning on verses 3 and 4 and 5 as we slowly make our way through this really, really wonderful truth. Let's give our attention to God's Word. Paul writes, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let's bow and ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we thank you that Jesus Christ died and was raised and that by the miracle of grace, we died and were raised in him. And I pray that today the Spirit might give us a deeper understanding of these truths that it would transform the way we think about ourselves and the way we go about our life. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to ask you if you've ever, um, have you ever died before? It might seem like a strange question, but actually some people uh, will say yes to that. In fact, I know members of this church who've had uh, near-death experiences. Um, It's a fascinating thing. NDEs, you can read about them, of course. You read stories online about it, and people talk about what it might be, what, it, what exactly is happening. Uh, what is interesting to me is that many of those who've had a near-death experience report that their life was, uh, it was really changed, that the experience had a profound impact on them. They almost felt reborn. Uh, one man named Luke spoke of uh, his life having two distinct parts, and he, he referred to his, his former self as past Luke. It was Luke before his brush with death. And past Luke, he says, was aimless and brash, self-centered, didn't really have much uh, concern for other people, just kind of living his life. But the new Luke is a much different man. Uh, The new Luke lives with a purpose. He he has a sense that his his life is a mission. There's things that he needs to accomplish, and, and he takes notice of other people. And he finds joy each day in in the incredible blessing of just being alive, the wonder of life. Well, that's an excellent picture of the Christian experience. One of the most precious truths of the gospel 
is that if you have come to Christ in faith, there is an old you and a new you. And it's all centered around a death event. Uh, Paul is telling us here that, that if you are, belong to Christ, you died. You died in Christ. Not figuratively, not metaphorically. It's not a word picture. This isn't a parable. This is, this is fact. You really, truly died. And your true death experience is it's vastly more profound and life-changing than any near-death experience. A near-death experience at best can give you a new perspective on things. A true death experience changes the most essential things about you. It transfers you out of a kingdom of darkness and death and sin and judgment, condemnation. It transfers you out of that kingdom and places you into a kingdom of love and life and light and peace and joy forever with God and Jesus Christ. The most essential thing about you has been changed. Your status under the law has been changed. Your relationship to God has been changed. Your eternal destiny has been changed. And that fact that, that you had this death event in Christ and with Christ guarantees to you today that you will grow in godliness and you will triumph ultimately and fully over death as you are raised in glory. Guarantees it. It's not possible for that not to be true of you if you, are, if you have faith in Jesus today. Well, this week we're once again back in chapter 6 and looking at a new section. Paul is here in chapter 6 moving on from the conversation about justification and beginning to talk now about sanctification, the process whereby God by the power of the Spirit, goes to work, making us more and more like Jesus, more, more and more sanctified. And this, this section of uh, Paul's letters is very important because it corrects a common misunderstanding among Christians when it comes to justification, God's declaration of our righteousness, and sanctification, God's process of making us righteous. Many believers assume that justification, in justification, God does something for us. It's all God. And in sanctification, well, it, that sanctification is largely up to you. It's up to us. God promises to help, right, if we, if we read our Bibles and pray and do the right things, but progress is up to us. And many Christians, therefore, are trying their hardest, right, to get sanctified, without an understanding of actually how that works and what that means. One writer, G. Thomas, says many Christians think of the Christian life as justification by faith and sanctification by struggle. And that may be as you this morning, right? I'm justified by faith, but sanctified by struggle. Well, Paul wants us to see that both justification and sanctification are equally provided for in the gospel, in Jesus Christ. As the Westminster Shorter Catechism says, justification is an act, one-time act of God. Sanctification is an ongoing process of God, a work of God. 
but both are equally and fully of God. The God who justifies you freely by grace and through faith in Jesus is the God who sanctifies you freely by grace and by faith in Jesus. Every saint who has been justified by the death and resurrection of Christ will also be sanctified by the death and resurrection of Christ without fail. We're going to move through these verses slowly because there's a wealth of gospel truth here on the one hand, and on the other hand, uh, this is a truth that has to settle down into our heart and mind so that it begins to function and we see ourselves according to gospel truth. I'm uh, more and more just aware of the ways that the way that we the way that we think of ourselves, how we identify, is so critical to how we live. And we need to see ourselves in truth as those who have been united to Christ so that we've died with Jesus and have been raised to life with Jesus and, and that's our identity. That's who we are. I'm going to just quickly review so we catch the flow of the argument. Paul has been answering a challenge that's been thrown to him as he's laid out the gospel of just, the doctrine of justification, the gospel uh, of of the, the glorious grace of God where he declares you once and for all to be innocent of all charges and righteous in his sight by virtue of the righteousness of Jesus. And, and people are, are responding to that by saying, well, then what's the point of being good? Why not sin so that grace may abound? If grace makes God look good, let's just sin and make God look all the better. Why not sin so grace may abound? That's the accusation that's been thrown at Paul. And his answer is that a Christian cannot continue to live in sin as though nothing has happened to him. And the reason is because something radical has happened to him. He has literally died. And so there's an old you and a new you, and now Paul's calling us to understand who this new you really is and, and what it means and how we're to see ourselves. And so he wraps up this discussion in verse 11, so then consider yourselves, reckon yourselves, understand yourselves to be dead to sin and alive to God. And so that's where we're going. I just have two basic points this morning, as like I said, I want to I just take our time on this. First, as we think about the Christian self-perception, uh, Paul wants us to think of ourselves as a baptized self, a baptized self. When's the last time you reflected on who you are and said, you know, uh, you know people ask, well, you know, name one notable thing about your life. Have you ever been, you know, been in a small group or a new gathering, some business, and you've got to share something you know, something significant about you. When's the last time you said, I've been baptized? We don't think of ourselves as baptized people. And yet, Paul just wants a pound home. It's exactly how we ought to think about ourselves. Now, there's a good bit of discussion. Paul says, um, verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? And people wrestle with, what does he mean by being baptized into Christ? Notice, he clearly understands this as something that's happened to every believer, and, and he speaks of it as though it's very basic, this is basic Christianity. Do you not know? 
as if surely you understand this. This is, this is not difficult. This is fundamental. Every believer knows this. So, so what is it? Well, some say that the baptism that he's talking about here is not water baptism, but Holy Spirit baptism. Well, the fact is that everywhere Paul speaks about baptism in his letters, he's talking about water baptism, unless he qualifies the term. He doesn't qualify the term here. He's talking about the sacrament of water baptism. You see, for Paul, that sacrament is a momentous thing. American Christians tend to treat baptism very casually, as though it were little more than a, a, a wet baby dedication or um, the statement of your commitment to follow Jesus or just something you do because you're reformed. But it's none of those things. Baptism for, uh, for Paul is this, this magnificent, momentous thing where you are baptized into something, someone. To, to be baptized into someone means that you are so identified with them that the realities that belong to them belong to you before God. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, Paul talks about the Old Testament saints, Israel, being baptized into Moses. So the, the passage of Israel through the Red Sea, boys and girls, you remember the story when Israel came out of Egypt and, and they went through the Red Sea on dry ground? Well, Paul says that was a baptism into Moses. That's God's declaration to Israel that they are united to Moses. God will deal with them through Moses. Remember what happened to people who tried to deal with God and do an end run around Moses? Didn't go well. Earth opens up, swallows them. That God will relate to Israel through Moses. He's, he's the mediator of that, of that covenant. And so it, it, it establishes how they're going to relate to God, and it establishes their identity. God is, in, a, in, the, in, their, in their baptism into Moses, identifying that they no longer belong to Egypt. They don't belong to the world. They don't belong to themselves. They belong to God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. That's what their baptism does. It identifies how they're going to relate to God through Moses, and it identifies them as a people belonging to God. Well, in the same way, when we baptize, we baptize people into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism signifies the gospel truth that by faith and in union with Jesus Christ, we have been bound to God by covenant love and by divine promise. And God lets us know in baptism that He deals with us according or through Christ, according to the word of Christ and the work of Christ. Baptism is, is, is not just a sentimental little thing we do for babies and it's cute, uh, and, and we do for older people when, they're, when they profess, uh, when they come to, to Christ and are converted. Baptism is it's God's declaration 
that we no longer belong to the world. We don't belong to the kingdom of darkness. We belong to God and that we relate to God through Jesus Christ and Christ alone. That is who we are. This is our identity. It's what baptism means. Now, the act of baptism itself doesn't accomplish this, does it? We are not saved by baptism. We're saved by faith. But everyone who belongs to Christ needs to understand this is what baptism, it, this is what it means. Baptism is not a sign of your faith. It's not a sign of your commitment to follow Jesus. Baptism is God's visible sign of the fact that by faith you are in Christ. You are in Christ. Paul says in Galatians 3.27, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. It means nothing less than this. It's a sign of the gospel reality of union with Jesus Christ in his death and in his resurrection. I like what Beasley Murray says. Paul's point is not that the believer in baptism is laid in his own grave. It's not a sign that I'm dying to myself. But that he, the believer, is set alongside Christ Jesus in his grave. I love that thought. That when Jesus was laid in that tomb, dead and buried, Dale Van Dyke was laid in the tomb, dead and buried, right alongside Jesus. You were laid in the tomb, dead and buried, right alongside with Jesus. Not metaphorically, not figuratively, really and truly. That's what Paul's going to unpack in the following verses. Lord willing, we'll get to that next week. But for now, just, just let this truth settle into your, into your mind. If you've been baptized into Christ and believe in him, you died. You were buried. Yes, you, in the death and burial of Jesus Christ. You were laid in the tomb with him. You have had a true death experience. This is at the very heart of Paul's entire argument. This is the reason, you see, why it is not possible for a Christian to sin so that grace may abound. Because something has happened to him. He died to sin when he died with Christ. And that's the truth signified in the sacrament of baptism. It's not an empty sign. It's God's visible seal applied to his promise, and it is a great source of encouragement. It's a, it's a profound source of encouragement. Have you been baptized? Do you realize how rare and precious that is? That God himself, the living God, would place his sign and his seal upon your body? It's incredible. You don't, you don't belong to you. You don't belong to your family, and that's not in the, in the ultimate sense. You don't belong to the world for sure. God has said, you belong to me, and I have placed you in Christ Jesus, my son. And those truths flower 
by faith. Those promises flower by faith. If you can say, as as these folks up here this morning said, this is what I believe. Well, that means that you have, in fact, and in truth, been united to Jesus Christ. God himself has said it, was, it is so, and nothing can separate you from Jesus. So when, when someone asks Martin Luther, how do you know you're saved? One of his favorite responses was, because I've been baptized. I've been baptized, and that baptism gives me assurance, not because just of the nature of um, you know, a priest did it, and this is what Christians do, and it's, it's kind of this religious ritual we follow. None of that. But baptism being God himself signing and sealing to me the truth that by faith I am united to Jesus Christ, and I died with him, and I'm going to be raised with him. That's our assurance. And Paul wants us to remember this truth. If you've been baptized, you've been baptized into Jesus Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. And that baptism makes all the, that union with Christ, signified and sealed in baptism and, and, and received by faith, makes all the difference in your life. So Paul wants us to think about ourselves as baptized people. And secondly then, people who are, have experienced resurrection. So verse 4, you were, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that, purpose clause, Just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too, inclusive, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. (laughs) That is really good news. Notice these words, in order that. See, our burial with Christ By baptism into his death is for a purpose. It's to accomplish something. What was God seeking to accomplish when he united us to Jesus Christ in his death and burial? Well, Paul says God's purpose was that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too might walk in newness of life. Those are wonderful words. Me, we too. We too means that Jesus, when he was buried, he was not buried alone. We were buried with him. And when Jesus was raised, he was not raised alone. We were raised also, brought to new life. That's the point Paul's making. We too. I'm so glad that's in the Bible. It means that we're included. Ever, ever heard a small child, um, you know, something's happening. Maybe mom's handing out ice cream to the older kids. And, and little Johnny or whatever is down here saying, me too, me too. He wants to participate in the blessing. Well, friends, in the gospel, God promises to every believer, you too, you too, that God will give all of Christ in all of his work, all of his benefits, all of his glory. He gives all of Jesus, both in his his obedient life and his atoning death, his victorious resurrection, all of Jesus is given to everyone who calls on the name of the Lord. You too. Now let's unpack just for a bit what Paul's talking about here when he talks about this new life because it has a present and a future aspect to it. First of all, it's a present walk. 
in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When, when we hear that, I just confess myself, when, when I've read that for years and years, I read that as a moral lever, moral switch, so that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, um, we too can do better. We too can, can act better, right? Walk in newness of life equals moral improvement. So that if you're not really improving that much, th this phrase, it, it, you just struggle with it. What does it really mean? Well, I think that's a misunderstanding of what Paul's talking about. When Jesus was raised from the dead, he didn't move into an arena of new perfection. He was already perfect. He didn't move into an arena of, of moral improvement. When Jesus, when, Paul says, when Jesus stepped out of that tomb and into newness of life, he moved into a different relationship to death. Verses 9 and 10. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So when Jesus stepped out of that tomb in his glorified self, he stepped into a new reality where death and sin no longer have any dominion over him, no claim over him whatsoever. Now remember, the only reason death or sin or, or death had any claim on Jesus at all is because he was bearing our sin. But Jesus was born under the law, wasn't he? And received the condemnation of the law due to our sin. But when he went to the cross, he took that law with all of its demands and he nailed it there. And when he stepped out of that tomb, having atoned for sin, having paid the penalty of the law, Jesus satisfied the demands of the law and he walked out free. He had conquered death once and for all, is what Paul says. He will never have to do it again, never die again. There is no possible way for death to have dominion ever again over Jesus Christ. And what is true of Jesus, see, that's the beautiful thing. What's true of Jesus is true of you. It has fundamentally, radically, forever changed your relationship to death. Just as Jesus walked out of that tomb, never to die again, in a new relationship now to sin and death and condemnation, having conquered it, we too have been raised that we might walk in newness of life. And that newness of life, notice it's not a new kind of life. What Paul's saying is that we've literally stepped out of the realm of death and have stepped into the category, the realm of life. We now experience the truth of what life is. The Bible will say what, what, people, what people experience in this world, in this life, apart from God, the Bible calls what? Death. To live apart from God is death. That's how the Bible thinks. And, and Paul wants us to know, friends, that when, when we stepped out of the tomb with Christ, having died and been buried with him, we step into what is actually, truly life. 
all capital letters, all bold, real, actual life, the life of God poured into you, and life with God through Jesus Christ and the Spirit, a life that can never end, can never be lost, life that's real life, which is intimacy with God, where every promise of God is yes and amen to you in Jesus. The life where every sin is fully forgiven. Every grace poured out abundantly given to you. Not just the grace of justification, but also the grace of sanctification and one day the grace of glorification. You see, that's why a Christian cannot casually continue on in sin so that grace may abound. He has been brought out of that reign of sin and into the realm of life. That doesn't mean there isn't a battle to be fought. That's precisely the point, you see. God's children will fight. God's children will fight. We'll fight our unbelief. We'll fight our besetting sin. We'll fight the, 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 the weakness and the stupidity and, the, and the, uh, all the things that weigh us down. We'll fight. Why? Because we're alive. And in Jesus Christ, we died to the old realm of sin and death. And we, the life that we now live, we live to God, just like Jesus. The life we now live, we live to God. At least that's your heart desire if you're a Christian. You want to live to God. At the end of the line, at the end of the day, you'd like, to, you'd like to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. At the end of the line, when you look at your life and you review all that maybe you were allowed to accomplish or whatever, whatever made up your days and, and years, you want to be able to look back and say, in some way, I lived for the glory of God. That's what I want it to be about. And a person who wants to live to God cannot say, let me sin so that grace may abound. Or if he does say it, he will quickly repent. We can't stay there. We're going to battle with sin. We're going to battle with the powers of death because we walk in the newness of life. The life of a Christian, the walk of a Christian is the walk of life. And that person, friends, is going to be raised to glory. Verse 5, if we've been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. When you were united to Jesus Christ in baptism and by faith, you were united to the whole Jesus. Jesus and all of his accomplishment. In his death, we had atoned for your sin and in his resurrection. You're going to be raised from the dead. And not just raised from the dead, but raised to glory. That was God's purpose from the beginning. I love the chain of redemption you find in Romans chapter 8 where Paul says those whom he predestined before the foundation of the world, he also called. The gospel came to you at some point through, through the pulpit or a book or parents or friends, but God called you through the gospel and, and gave you the ability to believe. And those whom he called, he also justified. As you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you received the sentence of innocence, righteous, imputed, uh, robed in the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, you were justified. And Paul goes on to say, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. Every last one. Do you know that about you? 
Do you understand that about you? That one day very soon, you're going to set aside what is mortal. Every one of us will. And you're going to step into immortality. And you're going to set aside everything that's weak, everything that's dishonorable, and you're going to step into glory and honor. Because you belong to Jesus. If you're a Christian. And friend, if you're not a Christian, I beg with you today, do you wake up? You're living in God's beautiful creation. He's placed eternity in your heart. The truth about God is clearly evident to you, being revealed in the things that have been made. Would you wake up and confess your sin and come to Jesus Christ and enter into life? God so loved the world, he gave his son so that could happen for you. But if you've come to Christ in faith, friend, then Paul's just begging you to believe it. To believe it in all the profundity of its truth and to believe it all the way down. To receive the glory of what it means to be united to Jesus Christ. It is unbelievable. And if it's true, how then shall we live? Paul says, well, let's consider ourselves in dead to sin and alive to God in Christ. Let's be convinced that no matter how powerful our sin is and and maybe you're feeling the power of it in your life today. Friend, you're going to triumph. You know, when people ask me, do you have any profound insights at age 60? I don't think I do. But it's kind of fun being 60. You can at least act like you're wise, I suppose. <clears throat> but uh, here's, here's, here's one thought that really strikes me. It is so good to see the faithfulness of God sanctifying me. I'm not the same guy I was when I was 20 years old. And I'm so thankful for that. God doesn't owe that to me. But it's what he's promised in the gospel and in Jesus Christ. And he's promised it to you. And, and I'm not going to be at 80 the man I am today. And in eternity, I'm not going to be either of those things. Right? It's all going to be, all the weakness and all the sin is all going to be done. And we're going to reign with Jesus Christ in glory as resurrected people. And we know it's true because the work that God has begun, he promises to carry on to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. By virtue of your baptism into Christ, it must be so. Let's pray. Father, we're just amazed at what you've done for us in Jesus. We are people who left to ourselves would embrace death and we would delight in committing spiritual suicide. We would take joy in hating you and rebelling against you and, and yet you had mercy on us and you gave us to Jesus Christ so that we could be rescued out of our death and brought into life. And that we could belong to Jesus and know that we are alive in him and alive because of him and everything about our identity and our destiny has been determined by him. 
And Father, I just pray that you would press this truth home. Help us to take joy in what it means to belong to Jesus, what it means to be baptized into Christ, what it means to have died with him and, and raised to life in him. So that, oh God, we can say the life we live, we live by faith in the Son of God who loved us and gave his life for us. And, and because of him, we shall grow, we will be sanctified, and we will be, we will be raised one day in glory. So give us peace and joy as we fight the fight of faith, as we battle with sin, as we walk this pilgrim road as we go through times of sorrow and sadness. Help us to walk like Christians. And we give our Lord Jesus all the praise. Amen. Let's respond by standing. We're going to sing together, Yet not I, but through Christ in me.
God's people said, Amen. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you his peace till Christ come again. Amen.